listening to episode 21, chapter 1 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Josh Havens. And I'm Chris Lamberth. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that he would help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. Ashley Hales holds a PhD in English from the University of Edinburgh, Scotland. She's a writer, speaker, and hosts the Finding Holy podcast. Ashley's married to a church planter in the Southern California suburbs and the mother to four. Her writing has been featured in such places as the Gospel Coalition, Books and Culture, and Christianity Today. Her first book is Finding Holy in the Suburbs, Living Faithfully in the Land of Too Much. When it comes to building a lifestyle of discipleship, we tend to focus on the spiritual disciplines, reaching out to others to share the gospel, and understanding our calling that God has placed on our lives. It's easy to overlook the geography of where all this takes place. And yet, when it comes to creating a certain kind of lifestyle, the environment we're in plays a significant role in how we live. Our homes and our cities shape our lives as we build daily habits and routines around them so we might live more comfortably and be more effective in our work. And that's why we're talking to Ashley Hales today, who has written a book about finding holy in the suburbs, when the suburbs are often seen as a place of escape for rich white people who measure their worth by how much stuff they have. Her story shows us there is so much more to the suburbs than the perfectly manicured lawns we so often see on the surface. Ashley, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So good to be talking to you today about your book and your podcast. Your podcast is called Finding uh, Holy, and your book, Finding Holy in the Suburbs, Living Faithfully in the Land of Too Much. And we are really excited to talk with you because we think your platform and your book has so much in common with what we're trying to do here at Daily Growth Discipleship. Mostly, like in your words, finding those moments of holiness in God in those everyday moments of life. And so yeah. you have a fascinating story in this book, and I can't wait to unpack it with you here. Um, but first, what led you to writing this book, Finding Holy in the Suburbs? Mm. You know, I've always been really fascinated with the idea of place and how places form us and shape us. Um, it started uh, probably just in lots of moves after my husband and I got married. We lived overseas and we we kind of had this sense of we want to do big things for God. And so we thought, hey, let's go church plant in like a big cosmopolitan city or, you know, move to Africa or do all these huge things. And when God called us about four years ago to move back home to the suburbs of our birth, I really recognized how much I had used place to define my identity in ways that weren't actually helping my own spiritual growth. And so I wrote Finding Holy in the Suburbs because I knew that God loves all people. He loves all places. If there's not a space or place or people that's too small or too you know, wealthy or affluent, you know, or average um, for God to, to work. And so it really was my journey of how do I bring the gospel here to this set group of people? How do I reckon with my own sin and my own snobbishness um, about suburban life? And how can I be on a journey with my neighbors towards the kingdom of God? You point out something that's really fascinating. I would never have thought about it until I, I picked up your book. And actually, you have it on the back cover. 
So it sort of uh, harkens to it. Places form our loves. And I never would have thought about <clears throat> this idea of geography being such an issue, which is ironic because I have spent the last 10 years living in a city that I continually <laughs> <laughs> announced yeah. that I can't wait to leave. And right. so reading your book has been like a big stab in the heart for me and, and, and helping. And of course, the Lord's been working on me for a long time. And so I think this book is, is really well timed for me. But that. We actually define who we are by sometimes the places we live. And so mm -hmm. I love how you described, and, um, you know, you were moving all over the place. You lived in Edinburgh, which is an mm -hmm. incredible city. And then yeah. in Salt Lake, uh, you know, you guys had a, an awesome ministry there and mountains. And, and then you right. moved back home to the suburbs. And right. this idea of the suburbs that was sort of like kill your soul, explain, explain to us a little bit more about what the suburbs meant for you as far as that transition and why it was such a, uh, a fearful thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot of it is I, I've, I'm an only child and maybe this is my only childness, but like you can do great things, Ashley, you know, and then you kind of get into your thirties and forties and you're like, I'm just pretty ordinary. <laughs> so how do I reckon with all of these cultural mantras of go do all of these amazing things? How do I find my identity in Christ in my normal everyday suburban life. Um, and so that really was the challenge for me in writing the book too, is just kind of reckoning with all of these cultural assumptions that of who, how we find identity and meaning in our own lives. And then also how do we actually live out the gospel in small, ordinary ways? Cause we know that it's those small, ordinary habits that actually shape us just the same way that our places shape us except I think in suburbia, particularly because we have chain stores and so many different things that are meant to look the same, uh, that we don't actually realize, maybe particularly in suburbia, because things are fashioned for our comfort, uh, how a place changes and, and kind of focuses our loves and attention. So that was something to reckon with too. That's been a huge challenge for me. Uh, so growing up, I uh, I grew up in church and uh, went to youth camp and all that stuff. And my yep. friends would always have these amazing times in the altars where God would call them to like plant 30 orphanages in Russia or something like that. Right. And I never had that call. And so I'm just kind of sitting here wondering, okay, God, am I kind of a, a second rate Christian here? Why am I not getting this stuff? And I carried that all the way through Bible college, all the way through seminary. And, and for me, this pressure to perform and kind of be the greatest Christian that I can be because, you know, that's what all Christians are supposed to do. And they're all supposed to be the, the next Billy Graham. Right. Um, the last few years of my life, I, it actually was kind of preceded by a, a huge breakdown about six years ago. And then uh, God's been over the last five, six years kind of getting me out of that thought process of I have to continually perform and do and, and do all these things. And Honestly, like you're like you've mentioned, moving back to Springfield for me was kind of a retreat from that. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. the the last few years have been really uh, God doing that same work in my life. So I really appreciate that. Great, that's awesome. And, and you know that was another point that that sort of seemed like it precipitated this whole thing was this culture that you grew up in in the in the '90s and even early yeah. 2000s of the do great things for God culture. Like we all sort of grew up with this expect, those of us who grew up during that era grew up right. with that expectation yeah. of, yes, if you weren't preaching to stadiums, you weren't doing enough for God. 
And yet now there's this new movement sort of emerging of learning to do, I think it still is like learning to do great things for God in the ordinary moments of life, like you're talking about through those small, ordinary habits. Um, And so what I love about that you do in your book so well is you essentially tell a story, your story of moving back to the suburbs of uh, Southern California and wrestling with these different idols that come up and then coming to terms with those. Yeah. So can we talk about some of these idols? Because it is amazing that you even like notice these because it's so much a part of our normal everyday habits and routines. And yet we have erected these idols right in front of our paths. And so, so often we just totally miss them. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. your first idol that you talk about is consumerism. Correct. How did you first come to recognize that these idols existed? Well, I like to pretend there was this one question once in a retreat about like, what would be your superpower? And I was like, easy, like weird superpower. And mine is like, I make meaning out of everything. So <laughs> there is, there is my tendency to like, Ooh, what's, what's the symbolism behind that? And maybe it's my PhD in English or <laughs> just how I think, but, um, <laughs> But I think, you know, I started to recognize this too when I first came, we first moved back to Southern California and I hopped on the local Facebook page for moms and just seeing like, oh my gosh, this is a total different alternate reality than where I just came from in Salt Lake. Everyone's concerned about what they look like and their vacations and purchasing things versus in Salt Lake City, it was much more like experience oriented. Let's go climb the mountain, for instance. And so right away, just having then that new kind of entrance into this community, I realized, wow, this is not only just about what you buy, but that this is actually shaping us. And so you get the silly memes for moms about, you know, target shopping and um, that this becomes really the way that people orient their lives. And so that's going to be a embedded spirituality that's going to affect all of life, our friendships, how we relate to people who don't hold our same views or our faith commitments. Um, it's going to, it's going to even ex- really affect how we experience church, you know, as another thing to consume. Um, and so as I, as I was kind of thinking through this, I realized this is so pervasive that we are basically told that we are to go out into the world and take things to purchase things, to buy things, to consume, you know, whether it's a person or a relationship or, something material um, and that that will bring us happiness. You say suburbs seek to fill good hungers by offering us the suburban gods of consumerism, individualism, busyness, and safety. When we glut ourselves on the food of the suburbs, we are left with aching bellies. But graciously, God always meets our hungers with himself. Being hungry in the suburbs is is designed to point us home. Healing begins at the place of hunger. I love that. I love that. Healing begins at the place of hunger. Mm-hmm. Can you expand on that a little bit? What do you mean by that? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, there's a tendency often for those who grew up in church to kind of see these hungers or these desires and to try to stuff them away or to like work really hard to like move past our desires. Um, you know, like if I really, you know, I'm being covetousness of, of, you know, covetous of my neighbor's house, then, you know, I just need to like pray more. I need to like do all these sorts of things to like get rid of this desire. And I think God always meets us with our hungers. He, you know, in the Lord's prayer, we're, we're called to actually name our desires before God, um, and to, to pray for his kingdom to come, but not at the absence of us becoming like this blank slate of 
non-personality. And so I think, I think we first have to actually reckon we have those desires. We have those hungers and to wrestle with them and to know that God will ultimately meet them. But if we stuff them, that they're going to come out sideways and twisted, um, and that we will always keep running back to target, right. To satiate our hungers or we're always going to, or home Depot. I don't know what the male equivalent is, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's pretty good. (laughs) Uh, You know, but we're always going to run somewhere, you know, when we're, when our emotions were frazzled, we're exhausted, we feel like we're not at the place in our jobs where we want to be. We're always going to run to some form of comfort. Um, and ultimately, we know that Jesus is really the only true comfort. But we just have to first start paying attention to what do I run to, you know, when I feel out of control, when I feel angry, when I feel like I'm not making it in this world, I, you know, life isn't what I thought it would be. Where do we run to? I think it's just a great kind of question to kind of check in, you know, am I running to all of these other things? And it's not that those things are bad, but that when they become, as Augustine said, ultimate things, then we are serving them instead of serving God. Yeah. And they can even be really, really simple things too. Like I think you mentioned in your book that, uh, sometimes when we're stressed, we just go eat chocolate or, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. like it can be or potato chips, yeah, whatever. Yeah. It can be Let's totally, totally innocuous. And uh, one of the things that we like to, to do here at Daily Growth is just challenge people to ask why. And then when they get an answer to that, ask why again. So it, if you're finding your, yourself at a lunch break at work and you want to go get some lunch, uh, yeah. how are you deciding what to go eat? Are you deciding based on I'm feeling stressed right now, so I need to go eat a bunch of comfort junk food? Uh, right. Am I going out to eat a bunch of healthy food so that I can stay fit? Well, why do I want to keep my fit image? And right. you continue to ask those why questions and dig deeper and deeper into understanding what motivates me to make the decisions that I'm making. And right. I, I like what you're saying, because often it is some of those idols that we put up that aren't coming from a place of our identity in Christ. Right. And what's difficult, I find, about the suburbs, particularly affluent suburbs, is that we we often have such a long runway right b- th- before we actually come to the end of it. Um, built in because of our privilege of various forms. And so what happens with that is that it's much harder for us often in suburban or even just Western North American affluent sort of environments to get to that, to actually see what our hungers are, unless we're practicing the discipline of asking those sorts of why questions. Mm -hmm. And you even say that it's why it's a good thing that we run into the places where those, those hungers are uh, they, they are ceased to being satisfying. And mm-hmm. so it helps point us in the direction of like, hey, there's a problem here. So we're right. constantly coming up against that. That's awesome. Right. Right. Rather than just saying like shaming ourselves for like, oh, I shouldn't be thinking this or feeling this or gosh, I ate that bag of potato chips and checked out on Netflix because I'm depressed and um, is to say, okay, well, what's behind that? And then what, what's really, what am I really feeling? How am I feeling disconnected or lonely or whatever it is? And then actually taking those turmoil of emotions to God. I want to challenge you to think about the little decisions you make today. So many of the things we decide to do are based on the culture around us and what we assume we need to do to fit in and be accepted. But today, take a moment and look at these decisions and ask yourself, why? Why do you want your yard to look perfect? Why do you want to have a clean and shiny car? Why do you want to watch the same movies and TV shows everyone else does? And don't settle for simple answers. Dig deep and really search for the hunger that's in your heart and the motive that drives you. Because when you find that place, 
you've found the place where God begins to heal your hungers and desires and make you more like Him. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Ashley Hales and her work, check out aahales.com. Then check out the next chapter in our conversation, where Ashley walks through some suburban practices that can lead to wholeness in God. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.